Hello, and welcome to a special edition of The Lodgers, Sorted Cinema's Twin Peaks podcast. My name is Simon Howell. I'm joined, as always, by Kate Redabom. Hello, Simon. And uh, so, as we sort of teased last week, this, and as you could probably guess by the fact that there's no new peaks this past week, we're, we're doing a bit of a special episode. And for this, we have uh, some special guests. First up, we have Adrian. Hello. And... Jonathan. <laughs> and Jonathan. Adrian and Jonathan have already made like a, a slight appearance on this podcast in the past because once upon a time I talked about the time we had a Twin Peaks party at my house and now I had friends who had not at that time seen the show and came with like mountain hats and then together they were Twin Peaks and it was adorable <laughs> and then they started watching the show and got super into it and so that was the people that I was talking about. This is Jonathan and Adrian so we're super excited to have them come on and help us like do some questions about the show. Yeah. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I guess Simon always gets to be the one who asks the like main questions, but maybe I'm just going to take over this week and I will oh, ask please all of do. The, I'll uh... keep drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not all of the main questions, but I will ask our like normal standard opening question. So Jonathan and Adrian, uh, what was your guys' uh, like history with Twin Peaks? Did you guys sort of know about David Lynch before and then that got you into Twin Peaks? Or was it all just the glory of my party? <laughs> or was it a longstanding interest? Um, I think my relationship with Twin Peaks basically stemmed from a friend crush I had on Kate and Olivier. And they invited us it's happened to, to all of us, don't worry. Twin Peaks party. <laughs> <clears throat> and we came as the aforementioned Twin Peaks. Um, and after going to the party and seeing people dressed as um, pieces of pie and a lady with a log, etc., cetera, uh, I decided that I was interested in watching it. So that is really where I started from there. And yeah. pretty much... Every time I see Kate, we end up talking about it for at least a little bit of time. Um, sometimes a long time, but <sighs> so, you, but you guys are—it's relatively new, right? Like you kind of watched the yeah. whole two, the first two seasons, like in the last year, a couple of years, kind of thing. Yeah, like two years ago. Yeah, yeah, I would say about two years. Yeah, mm -hmm. shortly after that party, I think I—I I didn't know anything about David Lynch before watching Twin Peaks. I had like. Mulholland Drive looked like a cool, weird movie, and I still haven't seen it. That was about <laughs> the closest I had come to touching anything on David Lynch. Um, oh, this is... This is sort of why part of the reason why like I was excited to get you guys on the podcast was because you, you bring a very different viewpoint to this than Simon and I that sort of obsessively watch Lynch things and like want mm -hmm. to talk about Lynch all the time. So I think this is very good, a good counterbalance. Uh, people who are less nerdy about Lynch. Yeah. Um, so how's how's been your experience moving from uh, the original two seasons to the new the new ones? How's your experience been for the new episodes? it's been i would say very um interesting i think there's a lot of a lot of meat and lots of things yeah. that we discuss after we watch each episode um but i think that that 
actually brings up a lot of what John and I wanted to discuss on this show today, um, i.e. what the fuck David Lynch <laughs> is doing. That's, yeah. that's our main question. <laughs> I would say it's for me, like, what's happening? <laughs> moving into season two has been, like, sort of a stilted and stuttering experience. I don't know. I think... I really enjoyed the first couple of episodes. Um, mm. I was sort of like thrilled with how how weird uh, he got right off the bat, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I think yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of what we've talked about so far has been this like question of like expectation so far with the show, and he does a lot of sort of like building up expectation and then taking a, like a quick left and sort of like dragging out uh, these periods of waiting and uh, build up and then sort of, you know, comes back with, with something interesting. So it's, I don't understand. Isn't everything we've gotten so far, everything you could have ever wanted out of more. (laughs) I was particularly wanting to talk about how much I love, the Dougie storyline. <laughs> absolute favorite. I know, I know enough to know that John is being facetious about this. <laughs> um, well, well, we can probably dig into Dougie because I assume it'll come up probably in these questions. But um, I wanted to ask because I know we actually I'm forgetting. Did were we texting after part eight? Was were you guys asking me questions after part eight? By text, have we talked yes. about it? Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to like ask as well here, like, how was your guys' reaction to the episode, uh, the most recent episode, part eight, the atomic explosion episode? Did you guys love it? Did you were you just confused by it? Was it like, you know, general thoughts? Yeah, I was extremely confused. <laughs> yeah, uh, and also loved it. <laughs> I, oh, good, both. That's great. Yeah. Yes, I. I, I, believe, um, but it, I believe if you go back and listen to our episode, our exact words were zombie. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one for it yeah um, um what about you I think that's oh, sorry. Uh, um i think i was less enamored with it than john oh, yeah. was um i think it brought up a lot of questions for me of like how to articulate it i i think i've been very patient with the return thus far um, (laughs) as the casual viewer and as somebody who needs like plot points to keep going in a show that I'm not super, super invested in like you and Simon. So um, I think the last episode I was just like, I have given this a really fair (laughs) shake and this is what's happening. (laughs) Um, I'm still gonna keep watching the show, but more is like a because at this point, if, if, if you don't keep watching to get to the stuff you want, it's like what was it all for? I know exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's a sunk cost a fallacy right point. there. Well, <laughs> that's our favorite kind of fallacy. Um, I think uh, that was my like initial gut reaction. Yeah. Um, I think there are obviously legitimate things to reflect on and like actual things going on in that episode. But that was like how I felt as soon as right when it was over. 
that's my reaction to it. So let me ask one more question. And then uh, this is just me, like the academic and me coming out and I'm treating you guys as like research. I can't help it. But <laughs> I, like I, I, cause I'm kind of fascinated by this question as to like whether people who are sort of in the show and are interested in it and are watching it um, are, are basically doing like what Simon and I are doing and what other sort of critics are, are, you know, one of the many, many other podcasters out there are doing as well, which is basically sort of like reading everything that gets written about the episodes afterwards. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's like, it's kind of like almost necessary to keep up with basically how much detail and like sort of puzzle pieces are going mm -hmm. into each of these plots. Like, is, is that something you guys are doing? Are you kind of piecing together plot stuff by reading afterwards or not really? Or like, how does that go? Uh... I wish I had more time to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, exactly. This is the other thing, of course. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Adrian? I would say Kate is my resource for Twitter. <laughs> yeah, we really we rely on you guys to, to summarize <laughs> everything that you've read and then uh, just tell us. Just tell us. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, well, know, I don't well, know if I listeners at home can tell that uh, Jonathan and Adrian are our first paid guests. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They say this is right when the freemium model of the show ends, and you start charging people for it. Yeah, they would not have done yep, it otherwise. Exactly. Um, well, so no, this like kind of proved like this is what I've been thinking though. Is like I've been kind of fascinated by like what, yeah, just how much information mm -hmm. about like the plot and like details of the show is just not very accessible unless you are like this kind of a sort of obsessive person that is parsing like all of this incredible detail or spending a lot of your time reading about how other people are parsing all of this stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm sure it makes for a, a very different uh, viewing experience to like not, you know, have the time and the luxury really of being able to sort of do all of that stuff. So, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we've enjoyed discussing it a lot. I think we talk about each of the episodes a lot after afterwards, but have done less of the engaging, I think, with the the sort of broad community that's watching the show right now. Yeah, the, which is maybe something we should do more. Folks, you, you can't see this at home, but I'm looking at a screen with these three people on it, and it sort of makes me feel like you two are in like couples counseling because of Twin Peaks, <laughs> and Kate's like guiding you through it, but also the one inflicting it on you. <laughs> Right. This is Twin Peaks therapy here. I'm gonna I'm gonna get you guys through this. You guys, we're gonna That's get right. through it together. Yeah. Okay. I, I fully expect you're that. gonna come around to be right, excited about episode eight. All right. <laughs> By the time she's through, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna brainwash you. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, let's do it. It's true. All right. Well, uh, so should we should we do it, Simon? Should we start? Should we should we start being pummeled by questions and trying to answer them? Yeah. There's so many. There's so many questions. <laughs> you guys should have seen. Y'all should have seen some of the lists of questions that came in on Facebook. Just like, like, are these questions or are these like the ninety-five theses? Like, it was it was getting <laughs> dense out there, man. Yes, uh, Jessica Bardsley, who has been a guest on the show and, and will be on again shortly, actually, sent us a list of, uh, I don't know, I'm like trying to count, I, 35 questions. <laughs> like, it was a lot oh of questions. We are definitely not answering all of those, Jessica. That's uh, just too bad. We will try to answer one or two of them because they're all really good questions. We just don't have time. But anyway, why don't, why don't we start with um, uh, Jonathan and Adrian's questions? But I, I just remember something I was going to say in response to John's 
like note there at the end about the Code Switch Peaks community. I just wanted to say that it was it was a nice uh, turn of events for us to get to like get questions from people and hear from people more directly than we normally do through reviews and stuff. It was actually really nice. Yeah, people were very nice and sent very nice things and very nice questions. And so I just and wanted to say thank you to them. As long as we're sort of mentioning people outside of our direct uh, environment, I want to give a shout out to those people at uh, Twenty Five Years Later that blog. Oh yeah, who. Uh, have recapped this podcast multiple times. And I have to say, I've been podcasting for a very long time and it hasn't been until the year of our Lord 2017 that someone has recapped one of my podcasts. <laughs> and it's real weird, but I also admire you. So I doff my cap to you. That yeah. is all. That, that guy, uh, Jonathan Adrian, the guy who runs that site, listens to all 50 Twin Peaks podcasts every week. And writes like a paragraph summarizing each of them. And it's kind of insane. Like, I, I have no idea how he does it. I know he listens to them at 1.5 times the speed, which would help. <laughs> wow. That is uh, it's an impressive amount of work. Um, That's yeah. wild. Are there 50 Twin Peaks podcasts out there? I assume there, there, there are more than that. I don't, yeah, I, I don't yeah. think the blog gets to literally all of them. But uh, if, you if you look on iTunes and do a search for Twin Peaks... If you include the non-English ones, there's like at least 60 last time I checked. And there's there's been more that have popped up since the return started. So we're actually a yes, relatively old hand at this. Yeah, we are. And, and still much younger than some of the other people who had been doing it for quite a while. Mm. But um, anyway, I'll just, again, another shout out to the Twin Peaks fan community because I have, I've been part of other fan communities and Simon has, you know, we've all engaged with other fan communities and sometimes they can be a little territorial and a little kind of crappy and the Twin Peaks fan community is the opposite of that. Everybody has been super lovely and is like super excited to share the show, which is like, you know, one of those things where it was like the moment when I knew Jonathan and Adrian were pretty awesome when they came to this crazy party and then went and watched the show and they were like, this show is amazing because you get such joy out of getting to share Twin Peaks with people. It's like such a fun thing to do. It, it would be kind of funny if yeah. the Twin Peaks fan community was actually like super strict and conservative <laughs> and like really narrow-minded that would be quite funny it's true <laughs> but that does not seem to be what they are they all seem to be very <laughs> open-minded and lovely um well we right. brought several friends in who are even less informed than us about <laughs> their impact is widening where it's like a contagion we're spreading twin peaks through the friend groups in all directions <laughs> um well good i'm glad all right well let's uh let's dig into some of these questions so jonathan and adrian what are some of the questions you wanted to ask simon and i <clears throat> um i can i can start with that first one because i wrote it and it's not very well formed and maybe we can <laughs> Sure. Yeah, first, let's bit. workshop the question, and then we'll answer it. <laughs> okay. Thanks. I appreciate your flexibility on that. Uh, no problem. Take about half an hour. No, we um. So we were talking about um, like, sort of reflecting on the conversations that we've had about Twin Peaks a lot, and the questions that we've had, and uh, particularly this like kind of tension of asking what's what's going on so mm -hmm. far, and I think we're realizing there's like a little bit of this sort of like class anxiety underneath it. At least I would say that was particularly true for me of questioning, like there feels like this, this tension in Twin Peaks, right. Between sort of like the, the like art house sort of version of it and this uh, network TV show that, that the original run was. Um, and, and I think, I don't, I don't even know if this is so much a question as much as like framing some of how, at least 
I mean, Adrian can chime in, but how I've thought about this is, is just asking the question, like, as people who are like part of a more popular audience, don't have, you know, necessarily backgrounds in film studies or mm -hmm. like deep familiarity with the text that Lynch references a lot. Um, what I guess the, the question that comes back and is less so maybe in the last two episodes, but sort of asking like, how much of this is intended to be accessible to us? Mm -hmm. Like, are we part of Lynch's intended audience? Um, and there's like, there's that sort of tension there, I think, particularly when things like feel more, more challenging in the series. Yeah. Um, that's a really good, that's a really good question. Uh, yeah. Adrian, did you have anything you wanted to add to that before we try to tackle that? No, I think, I think Jonathan summed it up well. I think um, part of the uh, downfall of listening to uh, the lodgers is that I now I know how little I know <laughs> about what's going on versus if I just watch the show and not uh, we've yeah. fallen oh I think we've to that oh oh you're back okay yeah. um, oh did you lose me yeah we lost, lost you, you for a second, yeah. but... if you could just Ooh, start sorry. over with that whole thing Okay. No, I, well, I think I think you just sort of said you know oh because it, it crapped out on Simon's yeah. end. Sorry, yes, please do start over. Okay. Um, I yeah, so I I agree with uh, Jonathan's summary of that question. Um, are we part of Lynch's intended audience? I think um, one of the reasons I don't research a lot about the show is I feel like it's this vast uh, crevasse that I could fall into. Um, versus if I don't research anything, then I'm kind of in this happy, ignorant area where I just watch the show and yeah. I don't have to stress about like all of the connections yeah. and all right. references and all of the back backwards words and like all mm -hmm. of that stuff. So, um, I, th I would say, um, you know, clearly we, we, we know from certain details about this series, this new series, that Lynch and Frost really delight in minutia and in stuff that you can draw out. Um, I mean, the greatest recent example was whoever figured out, shout out to you, you crazy son of a bitch, um, the one who added up all the letters and various character names uh -huh. and found out that they all add up to 119. Yeah, um, that's great. I mean, I could have lived the rest of my life not knowing that, and it would have been exactly the same. But, <laughs> uh, but they put it there, and someone found it, and a lot of people were totally delighted by it, and I totally understand that. Um, at the same time, you know, Lynch has always, in particular, um, has it's it's tougher to sort of tease out um, an aesthetic sensibility from Frost for obvious reasons, but Lynch has has always sort of delighted in the possibilities of filmmaking like you know in 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 what you know the the effect that that certain filmmaking techniques have on the audience especially emotionally um and i think if you can tap into that then you're lynch's kind of viewer i don't think it really matters whether or not you are choosing to you know delve into every single aspect i think lynch and frost have the way that they've approached it is they know people 
uh, are excited about the original series. Uh, they certainly have not made any concessions to people who haven't watched the original show. Like they're clearly going for like, yeah. I can't imagine. I would love to hear from people who didn't watch any of the original and are just watching the return. I don't know of anyone who's doing that. Um, but clearly this is not, this is not meant for a, um, for a, a, a new audience in that sense. But beyond that, I don't, I think they want as, I think they have, they, they think a lot of their viewers in the sense that they have a high estimation of them. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would add to that. And I would say, I would say I agree as well. I mean, I think, I think Simon is right. A to separate Frost and Lynch. Cause then they both have different kinds of ways of approaching this stuff. Um, but I think for Lynch, I think it's worth bringing up this idea as well of like a class question, like whether it's, whether these shows are going to work, um, better for a sort of like more quote educated audience about moving image media who can sort of get different things out of it and you know i think the question of whether or not one is better or worse i would say simply they're just different and i think lynch is the kind of artist who's smart enough to get that he wants his stuff to be widely accessible um but he also knows that that different people are going to get different things out of it no matter what which i think sort of proves the point that that Lynch is on to something by sort of so maybe um, like you, you you're surprised by this, but like he's so good at so being so focused on himself that it kind of like his own inner world that it sort of like just creates this thing that I think actually is pretty accessible to a lot of people. But that being said, I would say there's like two points. The first one is um, I think it's worth separating first the kind of plot connection stuff, like whether or not you're like it, that. It's obviously sort of uncomfortable to expect that you're watching the show and there's a million plot developments happening, and you kind of get the sense that you're like maybe you're supposed to understand all this plot stuff, but mm -hmm. it just never be, quite becomes clear. Like I think that is. A thing that's going to turn some people off and i think it's sort of built into the structure of the show and we can come back and talk about why later um but for lynch i think for for mark frost mark frost is very much kind of interested in that from the angle of like puzzles and like he really does build these puzzles that are meant to be kind of solved like he wants people to solve them and he built these very complicated things that's what the secret history of twin peaks book was as well as just these like puzzles that he wants people to solve i think lynch comes at it from the sense of he likes activating people's brains around being excited about figuring out things. But for Lynch, it's like a totally irrelevant question mm -hmm. as to whether there's really an answer. It's just like he mm -hmm. wants to kind of attract you and make you excited to be like, what is going on? But that's sort of as far as it goes for him in a certain extent. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say, and this is what I think where maybe there is a bit of a difference for people who've had a chance to sort of learn a little bit more about sort of film history or something. It's just that, that those guys, I think, have maybe been dragged by like professors or whatever through this idea that like you're just not that it's a certain kind of mode of watching things where you're just not really going to be comfortable and you're not going to know what to expect whereas i think lynch really sticks out on something like network television because lynch is so wanting to just shake you up and not let you feel comfortable and not let you know where you're going and that's not a very common thing most most narrative television shows most films even really rely on the idea that you know what to expect like that their characters are going to behave a certain way the story is going to go a certain way and you can sort of understand this um i once heard like i heard laura dern recently talking about this idea that david lynch is so fascinated with the idea of um creating these experiences that that never let you know exactly where you are and she was like because that's what the world is like you know we never really know exactly where we are in the world but we we don't pay attention to that very often we're so concerned about making like control and telling ourselves that we understand everything and lynch is like in there reminding us that we don't really understand everything and things aren't that clear and like i i love that but i i do think that there are it's definitely going to be different like for different people how that plays out and whether they enjoy it or not i would just quickly add that on this 
subject of class and how people sort of respond to the episodes or if, you know, people of a certain background are more receptive. The, the most resistance that I've seen to the show has been in critical circles and it hasn't been, yeah. it's, I mean, most critics have been quite kind or quite flexible, but like most of the closed mindedness I've seen has come from the press. And nowadays, most people who write about television are not necessarily professionals, but I'm just saying by and large, like the commentary at the, the Twitterverse um, on message boards, people have mostly been really um, receptive or at least patient um, with what they've been seeing. Yeah. And I, I think that um, and it might just be a function of the, you know, the, the sort of people who are, would be likely to watch a David Lynch TV show in 2017. But yeah. I think they if if they were if they were uh, gambling on having an open minded audience, I think it paid off. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, uh, all right. Well, so do you guys? Do you have another question, or d does that sort of go some way towards getting at what you were asking about? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that kind of, and I think we've also discussed this, you know, outside of the podcast. Obviously, um, gets a little bit at where you know we're sort of framing this and and thinking about it. But yeah, this idea, like Adrian was said, like. We feel like we do understand that there's some some work that has to go into this. Uh, really enjoy the puzzle aspect of it, the the mystery and the not knowing where we are, and think it's really cool that there's this whole community of people who are also very like curious and willing to give this uh, some space and time and investigative energy to to find out where it's going. Well, I, I... And I think it's mostly. Okay. Oh, I was I was just going to say, I hate to jump around between people's questions, but um, I feel like yeah. this makes me think about uh, someone else's question, which was, uh, you can tell me exactly whose question this was, Kate, but I really enjoyed uh, someone asking, is this what watching Lost was like? <laughs> um, because that that was uh, uh let me just add her name this was that was elise moore who actually has podcast a little bit on twin peaks as well oh. um and her question was she she gave a very long question that went through many 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 plot convolutions and she you know like questions like uh is dot is the doppelganger of the evolution of the arm working with the mastermind of the glass box like these <laughs> like an endless array of these kinds of questions and then at the end she writes i didn't watch lost is that what this was like or are there, or, or are there these new heights of uh, plot absurdity and convolution yeah. on the on this show? I, I yeah. think this is maybe something worth talking about because um, I watched all of Lost, so I can answer this question. No, this is not what watching Lost was like. Um, I actually don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. Um, I'm not party to the Lost hate train. I think actually a lot of Lost was great. Um, it didn't. Lindelof and Q's didn't exactly stick the landing because you know. Making a network show with 22 episode seasons is hard and, you know, things get out of hand and, you know, that's, I can understand. It was also their first time doing something of that nature. Anyway, I don't want to get in on Lost, but anyway, no, this was not like watching Lost. And, but I do think it's interesting um, to consider the, the Frost and Lynch pairing, because the more I think about Frost, especially from the little bit of the secret history that I exposed myself to and then uh, moved on to other better things, um, you know, he not to disfrost it's just you're not a good novelist dude i'm sorry um <laughs> at least not based on that as evidence the the pairing is that there's their symbiosis is so interesting to me because i can't think of another pairing like that on television where you have um somewhat you have sort of a puzzle box storyteller a la a um a lindelof or heaven forbid a jj abrams um mm -hmm. 
who's paired with this very different storytelling force and somehow they get on just fine except for you know those weird bits of tension here and there um i think that's what makes it not like lost i mean the lost made the cardinal sin which lindelof later corrected on the leftovers of creating a framework that seemed to say uh, answers are coming answers are yeah or or even yeah. or worse answers are imminent um yeah. and then you know t- to this day when you bring up lost in a crowded message board people basically shit themselves because they're still so angry about it yeah like it's it's really something to see like they've forgotten all the good parts and they're just like that show sucked well why because of the ending <laughs> it's like well what about not penny's boat etc it doesn't matter yeah. they've forgotten all that because the end because in a story like that the ending is the conceit and that's not what's happening here well and and this is why we should like we're gonna fall down a rabbit hole of questions i don't want to get too far off track with that but maybe at the end if we remember we can come back to this but like this is this question i think that's worth talking about with the return which is is there going to be an ending here i mean you know the first two seasons ended with like ended with these crazy like cliffhanger finales because lynch and frost were involved with this battle with the network to get them to bring the show back and the cliffhanger was part of that but the cliffhanger like scenario really let them avoid a lot of these problems with things like lost because they completely did not give any answers they open it up more and like lynch of course is always going to want to do that he never wants to end anything but part of me is wondering if maybe they're going to strike like a middle ground this time because they're not necessarily trying to get renewed and I, I, I don't think everything's going to be explained. I, I hardly doubt that. But I do, I do wonder if things will be a little more settled rather than Lynch sort of blowing it all up again in the end, of the, in the end of the episode. But I'm not sure how that'll transfer like going forward. I don't know. We can, we can come back to that. But um, I wanted to add two things, and then we can come back to the Jessica. Sorry. Adrian and John's next question for Elisa's question, where she's talking about Lost. Um, the reason I liked Elisa's question was because. You know, she's sort of jokingly asking about loss, but I like what she says about this idea of are there new, like, is is um, Twin Peaks going to, like, new heights of crazy plot convolution? Or is this sort of, is it, again, like, part of this thing that Lynch and Foster may be doing about reflecting back what's going on on television, like, quote, prestige television, the wider landscape right now, right? Like, I, I think I had been pretty comfortable thinking about the way the plot was working here with these sort of endless, like, plot machinations building on top of each other as just part of Lynch's, like, lack of interest in tying things up. And he just wants to kind of keep unsettling us. And I think that's there. But I, I really liked Lisa's idea that maybe this is, again, a sort of reflection of what's going on with these like eight season shows where you have these incredibly complicated plots and like 400 characters and like i mean the wire is is only one example of that but this thing where you're expected to keep track of so much plot information i kind of like this idea that that, uh the return is sort of joking on that a little bit or something or like calling it out a little i liked that um anyway that's sort of another question that keeps coming up is how much TV does Lynch watch? I'm betting Frost watches a lot of TV. But how much does Lynch watch? I can't answer that question. We only know he's watched True Detective. And people keep people keep <laughs> thinking or asking or positing, oh, this show is riffing on, like, prestige TV of, of, of the current day. And the answer to that question, if it is a question, is I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be any closer to knowing when it's over. But I am keeping yeah. track of it. That's true. Um, all right. Well, so why don't we go to another one of Jonathan and Adrian's questions? Well, I wanted to, there's, is there 18 episodes in this Correct. season? Yes. Yeah. So we're not quite halfway You've through. You've got 10 more but, to sit through. 
Yeah. <laughs> but there. I think, I mean, I think to Kate's point is super interesting. Like part eight kind of both clarifies things in terms of the origin of Bob. Right. But also mm-hmm. just like, also just blows the whole season wide open. Like where is Lynch? Where are they going to go from here? In the same episode, which I, I did find, I will give it that. I did find that really interesting. I was like, yes, finally telling me things about Bob. Yeah. But also leaving me so wait. This whole time, have you been hoping for the Bob origin story? Have I? Yeah. Really? Hasn't everybody been (laughs) No. I mean I'm not saying I I didn't I I didn't mind getting the Bob origin story. I just I A assumed it was never going to happen. I'd literally never thought about uh, it. I yeah, always, I mean I didn't think it would happen either. I'd always but, thought of Bob as just this primeval force that had always been and always would be. Um I, I don't know, I just find the idea that, that, yeah. that there were like answers people were clamoring for that, that they were suddenly <laughs> getting, I find that fascinating. Well, I think to clarify that a little bit, I don't know if it was Bob necessarily as much as like evil coop, like Tell me more. Like he dies, but I'm not convinced he's actually dead. So well, no, what... he, he comes back when he wakes up. Yeah. Yes, so like, yeah. tell me. I guess maybe that's where I was like, but what's happening with this guy? Like the whole season, <laughs> all of season, all of the return. I've just wanted to like follow the evil coop storyline. That's yeah. been like the most compelling for me. Um, so yeah, I found part eight satisfying in that regard. Um, that's interesting. I like that because I actually, I mean, certainly the evil coop stuff has been some of the most kind of like dramatically tight in the, in the show or just like, even like, uh, I don't know, feeling wise. It's just, it's always very clear. Like it's like terrifying and like, I I know I really like the evil coop stuff too. I think they're doing a really good job with it. Um, but, uh, is, sorry, but I think we interrupted you. Was that, was that your question or were you, uh, no, I was just like (laughs) affirming your point about, like now I've kind of forgotten what it was actually, but thinking about <laughs> how Frost and Lynch handled plot in relation. Oh. I mean, you were talking about lost and, and how answers are assumed to be coming yeah. and it's not that way in the return. Well, there may, there's also maybe this strategy of, not answering the questions you did ask, but then answering the questions you didn't ask. Like, yeah, that's true. I, I, I wonder if maybe like next week we find out the origins of like Wyndham Earl or some shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've loved, by the way, I've loved all the all the photoshops of the faces in the golden orb. Like uh, somebody somebody put one of the fa- oh, right. somebody put obviously somebody put Wally in there. Um, somebody put. Um, Somebody put Dick in there from uh, from oh my from god, two. Dick Tremaine. Yeah, um, <sighs> yeah. Some that's some quality uh, quality fan material right there. <laughs> um, all right, okay. Well, let's let's go on to another question because I'm, I'm worried we're going to run out of time to get to everybody's good okay. questions. So, what's your next one? So, uh, oh, good. You can edit this out if it's already been addressed, but I am curious to know about the mother specifically how did that creature become categorized as a mother that's interesting i mean everyone seems to be pretty confident that it's a female creature but 
I did not think that at all when I okay. saw it. So I was just curious about that. Well, it's a, so you bring up a point, like one of these points we haven't really dealt with in terms of uh, plot stuff on the show at all, but is this idea that the sort of androgynous looking uh, demon monster thing mm -hmm. that uh, it turns up in the glass box in one of the early episodes and, and then eats the kids' faces. Mm -hmm. uh, and then later in part eight, we see birth uh, Bob out of their mouth. Is, is officially in the credits referred to as experiment uh which everybody in the fan community has started calling the experiment which i find funny it's just experiment uh but also um this idea that yes then people made the connection to the figure that is banging on the door when coop is in the like purple room with the mm -hmm. woman who has no eyes Pe mm -hmm. people made the connection that like she keeps saying my mother's coming my mother's coming and so people have oh, made okay. the connection that this is the mother um I, I haven't thought about it much beyond this idea that basically because she like because it vomits something up and that has something living in it that people then automatically mm -hmm. go to the, like the gendered connection of like mother mm -hmm. and woman um mm -hmm. i that's as much as i've thought about it but i i know it, i appreciate mostly about the experiment the fact or about experiment the fact that everybody is so interested in this character like lynch has very mm -hmm. clearly succeeded in creating this like fascinating character that everybody's really interested in but i don't know much about it beyond that i mean i don't know simon do you have thoughts about that figure uh no no I, all right no thoughts from Simon. no i don't no maybe later but not yet yeah. not yet yeah i feel like i'm still kind of uh waiting to see how it develops um so but when you say you had a very different reaction adrian was it just that you 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 just didn't see the kind of connection with the sort of feminine body kind of thing or or what yeah i mean i viewed it as extremely i mean obviously non-human non-gendered yeah. um I think it struck me immediately because there's been so much discussion of gender mm. in the show overall yeah. Yeah, that I was like, oh, everyone's just like labeling it as mother. And I feel like that goes back to um, this, a much larger discussion, obviously, of women and females as being both like creative forces, but also... Right destroyers you know yeah. so i just um, i just want to say yeah. to everyone listening stop gendering evil creatures thank you <laughs> <laughs> um i but i i, I like i like the point that you made there adrian that's an interesting connection like this idea of, of yeah the, the way that things get labeled as like the mother force that's both uh both creative and productive but also sort of destructive at the same time um i'm trying to write uh, a piece about part eight for cinemascope right now it's taking longer than i wanted because it's like too much fun to write and i just can't get it finished but anyway this is one of these things i'm talking about in part eight which is this idea that again like lynch is very famous for this sort of dualistic perspective on things and in part eight it's very much like the destruction of the atomic bomb like the horrible destruction of the atomic bomb paired with like the kind of creative and positive forces of things like like art making basically like like cinema's ability to kind of do these like magical non-human things is like i so anyway i do think that that i like that i like that you pick up on that in relation to mother because i think that's an interesting idea i say that of course acknowledging fully and completely that like there is no need to turn that into something about like the female gender specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think you make a good point that like, it's interesting that people have been so quick to like gender that figure when it's the show itself has made no actual like mention of the gender or made it not clear at all. And people have been very quick to gender it. So I think that's an interesting point for sure. 
Um, yeah. Uh, Jonathan, do you have a question you want to ask? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I guess another one that I have here, and I apologize if you've discussed this already, but so we, we talked about Dougie a little bit earlier hey, and how much I despise him. <laughs> so what do you think is going on with that storyline? What do you think Lynch is trying to accomplish? When with... are we getting to the fireworks factory? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we, we did get many questions from lots of people in yeah. relation to this. Well, actually, I think we got four questions from Jessica about like when Dougie is going to wake up. <laughs> um, Look, I don't even really care about when. If you but... can't handle Twin Peaks at its Dougie, you don't deserve it at its Dale. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, so, but John, John you're like saying, you're saying it's not so much about when, when it's over, it's something else. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't so much care. Like, I mean, at this point I've sort of accepted that they'll just do whatever they plan to with Dougie. <laughs> um, but I guess I'm, I'm more curious in what you think is they're trying to accomplish with this character who, who seems so intentionally frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, is this just to like, to push back on viewers and, and like test our patience? Is there like. That, that might be part of it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I have thoughts about it. Simon, do you have anything you want to you want to start us off with? Um, I mean, I have a theory. I don't know if it's accurate because we'll never know because Lynch doesn't tend to answer. Please speculate as widely as possible. Yeah, uh, Lynch doesn't tend <laughs> to answer um, direct questions in a straight manner um, unless they're like blase information about production or whatever. But. I think I, I connect Dougie to, um, and this is also on my mind because I just watched the straight story for the first time. But as we've discussed many times on the podcast, you know, Lynch is sort of fascinated with infirmity and um, himself had, you know, struggled with um, speech problems as a, as, as a young married man. Um, he, uh, he's often sort of centering these concerns. And I think, it is sort of a challenge to viewers to take a seemingly um, our seemingly most beloved and familiar character and incapacitating them and then seeing if we can still, if, if that can, if that can sort of like um, cross the empathy threshold. That's yeah. my, that's my <laughs> guess is like something kind of, it's, it's a challenge, but it's like a, it's a friendly challenge. It's not like, I, I, I don't see it as a, as an F you to fans or anything like that. I, I see it as more of a, um, um, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I can't think of a better way to put it than, than, than friendly challenge. But I, I, if I have to hazard a guess, I know this isn't really what you were asking. I, I do think that we will get Dale back in some form in the near future. Having said that, you know, I could be wrong. Yeah, we might not get Dale back until like the last shot of the last episode. That's that's the thing we've sort of we've bandied <laughs> yeah. around here that might happen. Um, I, I have some similar thoughts about like why why Dougie is a thing in 2017. Um, I like Simon's point about there's being a kind of request for empathy or something for Dougie. I think that's definitely there. I mean, I think that's I think Lynch loves Dougie like just for one thing. I think Lynch loves him. Like he gets such joy out of the character of Dougie. You know, my guess is that on the page, Mark Frost maybe didn't have quite so many extended scenes with Dougie. And knowing Lynch, Lynch probably got some enjoyment out of stretching those scenes a little bit. Um so I, I think that there's A, I think Lynch is attracted to the Dougie character because of this sort of child, childlike view on the world. Like Lynch, again, Lynch's cosmologies tend to tend to balance sort of like 
extreme forms of innocence with this sort of like evil, all of these things are both there. Um, Innocence and like joy and optimism is in short supply uh, in the new Twin Peaks. That, but mm-hmm. innocence in the form of a kind of like child it, childhoodness, childlikeness, that seems to be one of the few places where it still exists, and that's mostly in the form of Dougie. So I think there's something to that. Um, but I think more generally, and I kind of talked about this a little bit in the Cinemascope piece, is I think it kind of I think it's very sharp of, of both Lynch and Frost to when they were planning these new episodes, you know, step back and take a look at the world and maybe realize that a character like Dale Cooper, who I think in, you know, late eighties, like Reagan era America, still existed even as a kind of joke form like it's this idea of like the can-do like good fbi agent that like you know embodied these sort of like really kind of almost spiritual forces of the law that like we could all still wholeheartedly believe in and again i think even at the time it was a bit of a joke like i don't think any of it was taken as seriously back then as we sort of tend to take it now but i still think people could you could kind of get behind that as like a an idea or even a stereotype or something um, I don't think in 2017 that character makes any sense anymore. The idea of like a, uh, a a wonderful, great law enforcement agent that just has the world's best interest at heart. Like, I'm just not sure that that character makes much sense anymore. I think it actually makes a lot more sense to like take that character who who does still embody good. Like we still want this person to be the sort of center of good in the world and put them in this position where they're bewildered by everything. Like, it's been 30 years since that character has been out of the world, right? He's back in the world. The world is a very different place. And like his response to it now is sort of incapability. He's not able to fix things. Coop isn't able to take charge. He's not able to like do all these good things. And I actually think there's something really interesting about like acknowledging that the kind of political and moral sentiment in 2017 is we all don't know what the fuck we're doing. Like things are not good and we can't figure out how to fix it. And I'm not saying that he's saying we can't fix it or whatever. It's more just that this seems to be how how things feel right now. And I think it, it it's unpleasant to watch. I don't think it's comfortable to have that reflected back to us, but I, I think Lynch is very smart in doing that. Um, anyway, so it's not a very comforting answer, but I hopefully it, it helps. I don't know. I would, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I would add if Lynch and Frost are interested in riffing on the TV landscape, you know, something that's been written a lot about over the last few years has been the and it's sort of finally tapering off a little bit but for like a solid decade tv especially prestige television was ruled by um the the morose male anti-hero you know your your don drapers your walter whites your tony sopranos um your whoever the guy on low winter sun was (laughs) um you know um so shout out to anyone at home who knows what the hell i'm talking about i don't i don't know yeah, it's, it's okay um Googling. i i almost said darkness at noon which is a sign that i've watched too much uh, good wife but anyway um you know just these these characters were just omnipresent and the the assumption from networks showrunners etc thanks to a, cer- a few certain early a few sort of early successes in this realm was that audiences weren't going to accept um, you know, we had to have these postmodern figures um, at at the center of the narrative who were, you know, antiheroes. You know, they 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 had a lot of they were mostly negative qualities with a few sort of positive qualities shimmering through every once in a while, and you rooted for them in spite of their actions, usually as opposed to because of them. Um, and Dale Cooper obviously does not fit that mold at all. Um, and I, if if you are considering 
Twin Peaks, the new Twin Peaks, the return as sort of a comment on um, on contemporary prestige television, then maybe you can consider that that sure maybe Dale Cooper doesn't make sense in 2017 sort of as as a model, but maybe he also doesn't make sense in terms of like viewers' expectations for you know strict good and strict evil, which is very much always uh, a yeah. thing on Twin Peaks, you know, but it's not a thing on television anymore, really. Um, that that strict dichotomy yeah that makes sense uh yeah does that does that kind of give you things to think about i don't know <laughs> maybe not yeah, answers. yeah i mean that, that kind of makes me wonder um if if evil dale is also some sort of response to that hmm. sort of postmodern anti-hero. right because he's so just uh, evil there's nothing redeeming about him yeah right, right. well there's, there may be something interesting there too in the sense that he kind of functions as your most traditionally narrative uh like straightforward figure in the show right like he, he's the one that maybe makes the most sense to us in terms of what we expect as somebody who is this sort of like you know evil figure who can who can just sort of get things done and like moves the narrative forward i actually thought i think there was i think it was emily stevens on the av club i'm not sure but uh somebody was writing about how they were they were caught off guard by how upset they were when Ray got the drop on evil Cooper in part eight, like when Ray shoots evil Cooper, because she was like, you know, evil Cooper's horrible. Like, of course I want him to die. And yet I was still uh, upset that like this crap, no nothing character like gets the better of him. And I'm like shocked by that. And I was like, it's like, yeah, there's something to that. So he is kind of like this anti-hero figure as well, for sure. Mm. Um, yeah. All right. Well, so what's your, what's your guys's next question? I think, um, Staying on the Dougie storyline, I feel like the show, more than anything in present, our present experience of Dougie, it just makes me like so curious about what he was before uh, Dale inhabited his body. Like the fact that Naomi Watts is like, oh, my husband is such a dunce, but seems pretty typical of him. Like she's not alarmed by his behavior, which is makes me super curious like who was this guy before the return patriarchy yeah, man it's a hell of a thing <laughs> <laughs> um i think like la we talked about that maybe a couple of weeks ago and i think simon had the really good point which was that maybe there's a play almost on like the sitcom family scenario there this yeah. idea that like it doesn't strike us as very weird that there's this super like capable beautiful woman who's married to this like complete goober <laughs> and you're like why I, I um, love that you always yeah. go to that word goober a word I never hear <laughs> anyone use in any context except you when describing Dougie. It's a perfect word for him, though. It is, because right. his, his suit is sort of booger-colored. Booger <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this is, uh, just to, to give people a peek into my bizarre past, This that, I think, is a direct result of the fact that I was a girl guide leader in Canada for six years and had to like break my habit of swearing about super like about, about obvious things like I couldn't swear so I picked up these like weird words that I would use instead of swear words like for a while in my early 20s I would say like nards a lot I was like, nards. <laughs> like I couldn't swear like, <laughs> it sounds like a word you'd pick up from like screening the sandlot too many times for your kids <laughs> Yeah, that's that's almost exactly what it is. So this is, that's me trying to be PG thirteen, I guess. Um, but yeah. Um, anyway, all right. Well, so yeah. I mean, I think the the Dougie uh, question is like an open one. I think we've yeah. talked about it as well the fact I like this idea that um, 
the show seems to have some pathos for him as an absent figure. Like that they were sort of like Coop or somebody were sad that like this poor guy was like created and then has been disappeared and like his wife and his child have been left behind and like where that's all going to go. I, I don't know. Well, we'll see. I guess we have to wait and see with that one. Um, yeah. I don't know. Did you, did you have specific thoughts about the, about his past Adrian there? No, no, yeah. not really. Just wondering. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I totally agree with Simon. It is kind of like, it feels to me like the same trope, but just like very extreme version of it. Like the fact that he doesn't even hardly talk, like he doesn't know how to hold a pencil. Like <laughs> it's just like nobody's gotten into a doctor yet. <laughs> Not yet. Maybe maybe this week. Maybe this week will be just like an hour long trip to the doctor. For maybe. <laughs> if we're lucky. Yeah, that's right. I, It'll be one of the more my ones. my prediction for the Dougie plotline is that what triggers him to switch from Dougie to Dale is he hears mm-hmm. "Teach Me How to Dougie" blaring from a truck stereo, <laughs> and he's just sort of struck dumb, and then he's Dale. We'll see. Um, that sounds right. Yeah, that's true. Sounds right. Olivier thought when we were watching part eight, Olivier thought in the first 10 minutes when you get the amazing sequence with uh, Ray shooting Evil Coop and these figures come out and work over Evil Coop, Olivier was like, my first thought was that once Evil Cooper had been shot, that was going to be the thing that like snapped Good Coop yeah. out of it, mm, uh, yeah. which, which totally didn't even occur to me at the time. But later I was like, oh yeah, I could see that maybe that was what they were kind of playing with, with audience expectation. I also expected that in the the previous episode when the the assassin came and he yes. like foiled that assassination attempt, right? And we have he like peers into the red room and he talks to the arm and everything seems to be coming together that like this is his moment of revelation. And then we go. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, uh, you may have also expected it when Mike showed up and said, "Don't be Dougie anymore." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I really didn't expect it then. I, I assume... That was too on the nose. Too, like, really, yeah. This trick. This possibly. I knew. I knew Lynch was messing with me that time. No, no, I was too. I, I, I had at least seen a few episodes of this season. Yeah. Um, um, can I pivot away from Dougie for a second? Absolutely. Yes. Sure. <laughs> um, another question I had is kind of um, recalling a conversation that we had a, a little while back about, I think it was episode five. We were talking about this scene where there's uh, uh, Lynch's character, three FBI agents go out to North Dakota. There's this new FBI agent. Uh, Tammy Preston. Uh, played by Krista Bell. Yeah, in a sparkling I'm performance. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Who's a super weird character, right? Like, yes, uh, is treated in this like extremely like kind of sexist way, especially by the camera. Uh, and I think at the time we had talked about it, and you, Kate, were saying that like maybe like there was something that Lynch was trying to accomplish with this because it seems so overt. Yeah, and I was curious if anything had happened in the meantime to. Uh, confirm your suspicions about that or like change your theory about that yeah what, what do you think so far that's a, that's a good question I mean I feel like it's um, 
It's interesting because I think Simon and I were feeling maybe a couple weeks ago like we were we were talking about this this almost too much like this question of like the, the if if the show is being misogynist if it's how its relationship to women is working or something and that was funny somebody on on Twitter or something said something or no Simon I think they said to you on a message board right this thing about how they were really surprised that like on other podcasts nobody was talking about how the show like really like represents women and I, I mean i feel like they must be listening to very specific subsets of podcasts because i know for a fact that a few of the other main ones are talking about that but um <laughs> anyway so it's it's worth i think it's an important point that we sort of like keep trying to, to focus on this question of the show's relationship to women because it matters um and we talked about it a little bit last week in relation to this idea of laura being given all of this sort of weight and the narrative that like laura is going to be this figure of major importance, um, that kind of thing. I, my general answer has been that I think in the last sort of three or four episodes, there has been such a striking turn towards uh, women characters that are being given much more sort of like emotional space and kind of like, you know, Lynch's characters are never that psychological, but like psychological kind of weight and reality in the space of the show, um, that it really has shifted away from what was going on in those first few episodes where women were either sort of there to be killed or be these sort of like, um, you know, poor, uh, miserable people in the background or, uh, or be, um, Oh, I'm missing a, a thing that I'm also blanking on there. Anyway, that they were sort of, be oh, and Tammy Preston, that's the other one, Tammy Preston. Right. Um, I think in the first three or four episodes, that was very clearly what was going on. I do think in the more recent ones, it's pivoted away a little bit. We got the amazing scene with um, Diane, like trying to hug Gordon Cole after she's made this very sort of emotional kind of um, uh, breakdown in front of him. And he reacts very weirdly. Like he doesn't really know how to sort of comfort her and he's very awkward. And I think for me, that piece of the works as part of the puzzle of what they were doing with the shot of like Tammy Preston's butt because it 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 tends to again sort of try to highlight more and more that this guy Gordon Cole aka David Lynch has some weird stuff about women and like doesn't really know how to maybe relate to them as like kind of on a certain level and again I don't I don't think that that's really true about Lynch's director I think Lynch as a director is very much aware of what's going on with like representation of women and he's he's smart about it and he's not shy about like dealing with the fact that women's images are often uh used like they're often part of okay i'm not i'm gonna get too emotional i'm not gonna be able to talk about it but that um women in the world are like the number one victims of violence like lynch is not willing to pretend that that isn't real and so i think that there is like that ellen angle of it always but um oh my god i'm sort of rambling i completely lost track of what i was doing <laughs> tammy preston uh laura good stuff i think i think the direction of the of the show has changed enough that we can see that those first three episodes were either sort of like a self-critical kind of gesture that maybe didn't always work um or simply that just we're just sort of seeing a larger piece of the puzzle now and it just happened that a lot of that stuff was falling in the first three episodes and mm -hmm. it, it read really badly to just see it mm -hmm. separate alone um or... i don't know or maybe those scenes were bad and the scenes that came later are good. Maybe it's just that simple. Yeah. Maybe we're, maybe. Maybe we're just overthinking it. That's very possible as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, how have you guys been feeling about this stuff with, uh, with female characters? You gotta love and, our like, answers. In the show? They're, 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 they're very definitive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't have anything to say after. No. <laughs> should we, uh, yeah. should we move on to some uh, listener questions? Um, I think we should. Why don't we? Do you guys have like? Do you guys have uh, maybe one more you want to ask? Because you have a longer list there. But do you have like one more, and then we could go to the listener questions? I'm good no. with listener questions. Are you good yeah. with listener questions? I mean, okay. The last question was just going to be, 
got a light. <laughs> Another one of the <laughs> phrases that uh, gets you to 119, by the way. Oh, right. Yeah, got a light also 119. Yeah. That's uh, true. All right. Uh, all right. Well, so why don't we try to go through some of these listener questions? Some of these are going to be, I think, a lot quicker. So we can we can try to bang some of these out. Um, why don't I start with the uh, we had a, we had a listener named Richard T who is not on Twitter but emailed me with some good questions. Uh, and thank you to Richard because he did the things that wonderful fans do, which is uh, like rated and reviewed us, which we very much appreciated. Um, and it was very supportive of the podcast. So thank you, Richard. Uh, but we let, some of Richard's questions were um, any writers you'd recommend on uh, Lynch or sort of for Twin Peaks. Um, obviously we've mentioned Dennis Lim's great book on here a couple of times. Um, Richard recommends uh, people that he likes are film film critic Hulk, which I al- I also love film critic Hulk. Um, uh, Matt Matt Zeller cites who just wrote a piece on Part Eight that I think was a really strong piece. I think Matt did a really good job with that. Um, and Scott Tobias, who's I have not been reading Scott's writing, um, but uh, I there are other people that I we can recommend. I mean, Simon, do you have any uh, people that you feel like you've been reading a lot? Um, Matt Zeller cites. I haven't read his Twin Peaks stuff specifically yet, but he's probably the strongest writer on um, filmmaking in television, like period. Mm-hmm. Just has been for a long time. Most the the sort of trouble with TV writing generally, it's it's just because of there are reasons. I'm not going to get into it, but most TV writing, especially recapping, is um strictly plot based or strictly theme based and um sites brings um a little bit more sort of filmmaking know-how to his writing and it's really really valuable um beyond that i mean emily stevens at the av club has been doing godly work considering her very tight deadlines like she writes about the episodes basically like that same night or the following morning and she tweeted out af- immediately after episode eight had finished that she already had a, a head, a headline, a subhead, and a thesis for her piece, which is just like that's that's some high level organizational thinking that I just can't lay claim to. Um, beyond that, obviously, yeah, you you mentioned in your question Dennis Lim, um, his book is great. The um, the only other person I mentioned is David Foster Wallace. He's also written about uh, Lynch, if I recall correctly. Um, And I keep meaning to get to, there's a new book by Mark Fisher, which um, also apparently contains some some Lynch stuff. And I loved his stuff. He's, uh, of course, no longer with us. But um, yeah, apparently his his final book contains some stuff on Lynch, specifically Inland Empire, I believe. And I'm sure that's worth reading, Um, especially for people like me who are like... uh, particularly interested in the intersection of lynch and like left politics um yeah we should also you just reminded me with inland empire mentioned we should um give a shout out to jay hoberman uh Mm, who is a wonderful wonderful film writer and has written about uh inland empire and david lynch's other works and i can highly recommend that um unfortunately i don't think jim is writing about the new episodes we uh will just give this as a side piece we really tried to get him on the podcast because i know him a little bit and he's a lovely lovely human and he wanted to come on but unfortunately he's just traveling too much this summer and he's not keeping up with the new episodes so we couldn't make that happen but definitely check out uh, his writing um i the other person who I've, i know has written on lynch a little bit uh, or not a little bit she's written like full books on lynch is an, a writer named martha 
no Kimson. Um, I haven't read these books and I know I like in the academic world, I think people are kind of split on them. She sort of approaches Lynch from this framework of like quantum physics or sort of like experimental physics. I, I, I don't entirely understand it, but I kind of can't help it. Uh, I feel some attachment to Martha Kimson's book on David Lynch because she cites a piece that I wrote about <laughs> Inland Empire like 10 years ago, where she cites the the story I give in the piece is like, I took my friend Christina to see Inland Empire. And at the end of it, when the lights came up, I turned to look at Christina and Christina was like gripping the arms of the chair. And she looked at me and said, I think I forgot who I am. <laughs> 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 and I wrote that and Martha, Martha cites in her books. So I was like yeah give her a shout out um but the other <laughs> the other the last book i would mention for twin peak stuff is um the book where i was totally getting all of my facts from when we were doing the original run of the lodgers here uh is a book by brad dukes called the oral history of twin peaks so for people who are just twin peaks like interested and you just want to learn more about twin peaks uh that's there's some great great stuff um, in that book so i just want to add two quick points one apparently brad dukes hates the new season or at least has hated recent episodes oh. and has been quite been quite outspoken really? about it yeah um, I just thought that was a funny bit of trivia. And the only other thing I'll say is Jim Hoberman, you son of a bitch, come on our podcast. What are you, chicken? <laughs> no, he's so I'm nice. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, all right. Well, then well, the last, the next question we can probably knock out here pretty quick because I feel like Simon and I will have a very short answer to it, but is, uh, do you have any other uh, Twin Peaks podcast recommendations? Uh, and he lists a couple that he likes. Um, I would say that I haven't listened to a lot. I've listened to a little bit of Bickering Peaks and a little bit of Diane. Um, they both seem strong. Diane, particularly, I think among the fans is considered one of the top podcasts. Uh the reason we don't listen to them, like I, you know, Simon, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, you don't really listen to any, right? No, I've been podcasting for a long time and I listen to like political podcasts and things that aren't film or TV related, but I deliberately don't listen to other film and TV podcasts because I'm always worried about like subconsciously ripping people off if we're being honest. Well, that's what I was going to say about the Twin Peaks podcast. So that's like, this is not because I, I would actually really like to hear a lot of the time what other people are saying about the show, but I try to avoid it because my brain works well enough that I can keep track if I read something visually where I'm getting the quote from and I can at least try to like do citations. I can't do that if I hear it, I will just absorb it. And then I feel like we'll be ripping people off. So maybe one day when we're done this whole crazy thing, I will go back and listen to the run of some of these other podcasts. So we can't really answer that one, unfortunately, yeah. but I'm sure you can find out. Ones. And uh, yeah. I'm also worried that I'm going to listen to someone else's podcast and they're going to be, they're going to bring up better points than I do. And then I'm just going to, I'm not going to see the point in carrying on. <laughs> that's it. We'll cancel the podcast. Yeah. So that's why we avoid it. Uh, but then the funny thing is Simon has already again answered this question, but the third question from Richard was, uh, any other cinema related podcast you'd recommend? And this is funny because we can definitely give some answers to this one because Simon, <laughs> Simon is, uh, is a co-host of another film podcast called uh, Sorted Cinema, which is an awesome podcast. Uh, highly, highly recommend. Um, are there other like podcasts in the mix there that you'd want to recommend, Simon, from that? Uh, well, group? I believe we have another question later and this connects to this. Um, for anyone who's, who's curious about more sort of Lynch related discussion, um, in the coming weeks, I know that my my uh, partner uh, over at Sorted Cinema, Ricky, um, has an archive of our old Lynch podcasts. Like Kate and I and Ricky and some other folks did some very long podcasts um, about uh, Inland Empire, Mulholland Drive, and I think Lost Highway was in there too. Do I remember that correctly? And Wild at Heart. And, Lost and, Highway and Wild at Heart. And Wild at Heart, yeah. yeah. So there's, between them, that's probably like four hours of hashtag content. 
um, <laughs> that we will unearth in the coming weeks. And you, you can, if you Google like Sorted Cinema, Inland Empire, or any of the movies that we just mentioned, you can find them on, a, I swear to God, the web archive. I don't know how yeah. that thing saves audio, but it does. Um, but we're going to repost them sort of more formally in the next little while, maybe even this week since there's no uh, new episode and people may want to distract themselves from what they've now realized is the crushing boredom of their own lives. <gasps> but um, there's no projection there at all. But uh, yeah, so those are those I can recommend because Kate's on them and she's pretty smart. Well, I've, I've been on them a few times. It's been a, the, the blast in my life to get to be on Sorted Cinema. I can tell you guys this, without without me being invited on Sorted Cinema over the years, there would be no Lodgers podcast right now. So thank you to all of them for inviting me to do that. But um, So Sorted Cinema is great. The other one I would recommend, I would recommend Peter Labuza's podcast, The Cinephiliacs. Um, <laughs> Peter's another person that we've been chasing to try to get on this podcast, but he's been watching Twin Peaks uh, inconsistently, so that may not happen. But um, Peter's podcast is great. He watches really unusual stuff. He sort of does these like reviews of them in dramatic and then he'll have um, really impressive guests on to come talk about various things. So recommend that. Uh, and the last one I'd recommend, just because I like it, is You Must Remember This, which is a podcast about sort of film history, but she often approaches things from a kind of feminist bent, and she's a historian, and she does really amazing research and then writes it in these like narrative ways. And um, it's not strictly film, it's more sort of film history, but I, I recommend that one as well. Um, yeah. All right, so should we, what other questions do we have here? Uh, from Claire Moran on Twitter, uh, she asked, any thoughts on Lynch's lamps? Me and my sister grew up on Twin Peaks and are convinced that the lamps are significant. Are we onto something or just lamp crazy? <laughs> so, Adrian, Jonathan, what are your thoughts on the Twin Peaks lamps? <laughs> um, does the, do the lamps include the, like, buzzing outlets? I think or that is, yes. Lamp. No, let's say yes. I, I think that's a good, you've got the good instinct. Follow that. Buzzing. I, mean, I have a very like complex theory that we couldn't think, start here. I think there's something going on there. I think <laughs> the Kate and Simon should elaborate on it. Actually, um, <laughs> the people, this isn't written about very much in the uh, in the biographical Lynch scholarship, but um, there was a, a disturbing incident where um, Lynch witnessed um, his mother cheating on Lynch's father with a hairdryer. And uh, <laughs> ever since then, nothing's been quite the same. I think we've just we've just discovered the uh, the origin of evil. <laughs> yeah, the electricity is evil in uh, Lynch's works. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, I all I had for the lamp question, which I thought was I, I thought it was actually a really good question. I don't I don't have any sort of plot answer for it. Um, in like terms of like kind of formal stuff answer, I you, I think you can say that Lynch is again a painter. He is really really interested in light. Um, he's really well known for like making these just sort of beautiful kind of um, lighted compositions. Like if you go back and watch things like Mulholland Drive, there'll be shots that sort of aren't that interesting, except for necessarily that there'll be like these gorgeous lights in different corners and things like that. So I think there's just that that Lynch is actually really interested in how light gets set up in scenes. Um, Laura Dern tells a really funny story on one of the Blue Velvet special features about how she remembers being on set with him when she was sort of 18 and they were trying to film something and it became clear like the director of photography was saying well I'm not quite seeing this corner over here because of this the light isn't enough and so Lynch wanted to create a lamp but it needed to fit with the scenario so Lynch went out and found a piece of wood and then like ran an electrical wire through the piece of wood and then attached a light bulb to the top of it and put a lampshade over it and like this was the light in the corner um, so anyway so Lynch I think likes making things out of light and electricity but that's really Really all I have for the lamps. I don't have much much smarter stuff to say than that. 
<laughs> Unfortunately. Um, all right. So I think, let's see, we've talked about that one. Uh, Jessica, let's try to run through some of Jessica's questions here that are just the funny ones. So Jessica asks, is it odd that I no longer miss Donna? <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you guys at with uh, with Donna? Are you, uh, everybody's wondering where Audrey is, but Donna is not getting the same kind of love. What are you guys yeah. thinking? I haven't thought about Donna. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, Donna was really hurt by A, being played by two different actresses, and B, her getting absolutely jacked to do in, like, the yeah. entire last, like, what, 11 episodes of season two? So, I mean, she's... Uh, even by the standards of, like, Twin Peaks supporting characters, Donna's really... <laughs> her... She's never been no. well-defined. No. Mm. She, I, I think Donna is sort of at her best in Fire Walk With Me, which is uh, weird to say because she's played by a different actress. And so I'm not sure what's going to happen there. But as we've said, the cast list includes some of the Haywards. So I think somebody, probably a different person playing Donna may make an appearance at some point. Hmm. Um, it's unclear if that'll happen, but that's some of the speculation. I'm um, telling you, it's going to be the tractor from the straight story. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Uh, Jessica also asked, how do I become Diane someday? Oh. <laughs> and yeah, right? Adrian, Adrian was like, yes, I also <laughs> want to become Diane. I agree. Who doesn't want to be Diane? So there's no answer to that question, but I felt like it deserved <laughs> to be said because we all want to be Diane. Uh, hashtag Laura Dern. You're amazing. Um, let's see. Uh, Jessica also asks, isn't it strange that Kyle MacLachlan and Laura Dern once dated? And I said, yes, yes, it is strange because I didn't know that they dated. Oh, I knew they that. dated prior. It's weird Did that, you know that I knew that uh, and you didn't. I didn't know that they, they dated like just prior to Twin Peaks. And then he like broke up with Laura Dern and started dating Laura Flynn Boyle, which is very weird. <laughs> that is, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> Respond to that either. All right, so I, I, these are just sort of funny ones that I picked out of Jessica stuff. But let's see if there are ones here that are a little, uh, a little more serious. Oh, I enjoyed this one. Do all of the bands on the return know that they are simultaneously, or that they are being appreciated and made fun of at the same moment? Have people been making fun of the bands? That's mean. <laughs> no, I, I don't think people making fun of the bands. More this idea that they're both like being used as a kind of serious thing within the world of the show, but also like maybe being played as sort of like hipster distraction devices which she's getting at I don't, I don't know how have you guys been finding the musical interludes on the show well i kind of had a like similar question to that actually which was um, i'm curious about all the cameos on the show which seems like the sort of thing that shows always do when their ratings are dipping to yeah. bring an audience back in and so i was kind of wondering what's going on with that is that just sort of like a joke about the fact that it used to be a network show and is that kind of a similar thing well, that the... actually reminds me of of, of all things there was a, a british series in the 80s called the young ones which i don't know if anyone has seen it's really funny this anarchic uh, british class comedy but um they were able to uh, they had musical sequences in every episode including like an appearance by motorhead um and the re the only the reason and the only reason they did it and like literally the whole show is set in this flat and bands would just play in the flat for no reason um and the reason they did it was because they added the the performances so that they could be categorized as a variety program and get more money from the bbc um and i i'd like to i'd like to think that lynch is doing that here uh but i can tell you that that's not that's not how showtime's business model works and that's certainly not how 
the model works that like anyone would bring in guests to get more ratings. I don't think the chromatics are going to give, uh, you know, <laughs> Twin Peaks a huge ratings boost. Um, no, but I do think there's something to be said. I hadn't really thought about it necessarily that way in relation to this idea of the bands as, as it may be being like another reference to a certain kind of television mode, which is realistically the like teen television mode, right? I mean, shows like the OC, uh, you know, 90210 did this originally this idea, like, every week. Yeah, Riverdale now, yeah. Every week there's like a new band that plays at the Peach Pit or the Bronze or whatever we're doing. Hashtag Buffy shout out. Mm-hmm. But like there's always new bands. And it's like, so I, I don't know. I actually wonder if, if that kind of went into that thinking at all, this idea of turning the roadhouse from a sort of like actual diegetic space where things used to happen and it used to feel like a real place into this sort of like not quite jokey because some weeks it's violent but like yeah otherworldly space that isn't particularly attached to the narrative where like new bands just show up and play and you sort of get the sense that like oh it's the band of the week or something i don't know god i really hope that somebody in the current touring configuration of nine Inch nails was in one of those bands that appeared on buffy there's like a decent (laughs) chance you realize because they're all about 50 Yes, that's probably true. Um, is that the, is that the cameo you were thinking of, John? Was like Nine Inch Nails yeah, or um, the Nine Inch Nails? Everyone, let's get it right. Wally yeah. Brando. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, the ser- it's actually maybe we should talk about Wally Brando briefly because that was another thing we were asking. Yeah, we should because like we've had some distance from that now, and I'm I mean I'm reasonably sure at this point. Like I realize we're less than halfway through, but I'm reasonably sure we've seen all we're going to see of Wally Brando. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's a sad thought. <laughs> yeah, it? so that that was one of that was one of their other questions was will we see more Wally Brando, which is amazing. So were you guys Wally Brando fans? Instantly. I know in my mind, as soon as it like as it was happening, I realized <laughs> it had nothing to do with the show or moving it forward. Maybe it does, and I just didn't get it. But I still loved every every second of it. Yeah. Did you like yeah. it, Adrian? Yeah, I mean it just seemed like a total just like and here's this like <laughs> and now wally brando for yeah. three minutes or whatever i have no complaints like, about totally that. i also <laughs> think i figured out what my halloween costume for this year is going to be Ooh, what is it wally brando <laughs> oh, all right deal <laughs> I'm very excited about your that. Next actually, party, Kate. I just yeah, I, I I'm gonna say it right now. This Halloween, Twin Peaks party 2.0. We're gonna do it. I'm calling <laughs> it. Yeah. Costumes from the new show Hell are yeah. welcome. This is all gonna happen. Uh, I did have an idea for who I was gonna be the other day, and then I've already forgotten. It. But that's all right. I will get it back. And it'll be great. I mean, personally, I, I I just enjoy like thinking back on the Wally Brando sequence because like for 24 hours solid the entire internet was obsessed <laughs> with like this one probably one-off character played by a guy who i still think of frankly as some rando from brampton <laughs> so like michael michael sarah yeah. some rando from brampton. Yeah, okay. <laughs> i'm just waiting for the wally brando spinoff show yes yeah y- if happen. you thought the bob origin episode was a trip wait for the uh, wally brando origin episode <laughs> Oh, I actually, I do kind of hope we get another Wally Brando scene. I I, I want that back a little bit. Um, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, okay, so let's see if we have another one here. Um, I really want uh, Wally to meet Evil Coop. I think that would be a good scene. <laughs> oh my God. 
<laughs> yeah, he should. Um, all right. Well, so Jessica has a couple of questions here that I'll try to condense down into one. So, like, um, she kind of asked a question about how could any other director convince a network to sort of to do what Lynch is doing with this? You know, like to, to basically do like experimental film for an hour in part eight or completely throw away like narrative constrictions for every other episode or all of these things. Um, you know, so like how could another director who isn't Lynch convince a network to do this? Uh, and then she also asked later, like, what is television in the age of the internet? Um, with these questions of sort of like, what, what is it like to sort of watch Twin Peaks now? If everybody watching it on their computer, everybody watching it through streaming services, like this isn't, you know, Showtime does exist on cable televisions and there are a lot of people who still have cable and might come across this flipping channels, but like obviously flipping channels isn't really the way people discover things so much anymore. Um, but I like these two questions cause I think they're linked. So like I wanted to, add a couple of points about the um this question of like network and and lynch's status as a director and how that relates to tv um because one thing that we haven't talked about yet on the podcast but i think matters when you're talking about the new twin peaks is this idea that lynch has sort of gone on the record in the last couple of years saying that he feels like there is no space anymore in american uh theatrical distribution for like mid mid-cost difficult challenging cinema like cinema that either isn't you know no cost like there are people still making films that, that cost very little money and those are still getting seen a little bit although they're mostly being distributed online um or huge budget films because in the last 30 years uh hollywood has moved increasingly towards a model where rather than making like rather than a studio making 50 films uh, a year that cost um you know a million dollars they now make you know two films that are 25 million dollars mm -hmm. and then it's all co-productions so so basically all that's meant is that like the risk is much higher because then they have to do a 400 million dollar advertising campaign so they rely more heavily on things like um remakes reboots sequels all this stuff where there's just there's no space for people making original properties anymore it's like just not a thing especially not original properties that are difficult and you know lynch self-distributed inland empire in 2007 and then basically was like i've had enough of this like there's just no space for this stuff on theater in on theatrical screens anymore art houses are dying uh and this is true if you don't live in a city that is a really big city it's difficult to find art house cinemas that show unusual things um you know we're lucky we all live in boston there's a lot of stuff in boston and toronto where simon lives that's unusual cinema but that's rare um and so anyway so i think it that was part of the reason why Lynch ended up on television. Um, and the reason that I bring it up is because I'm, I'm personally wondering like what that's going to mean in the decades going forward. When the, the generation basically dies, that is filled with people like Lynch who were able to kind of create this huge pop cultural status off the backs of things like theatrical distribution um, that is going away. Like that stuff doesn't exist anymore. And you know, Lynch is able to go to a television network and use his huge leverage to be able to say, I don't need to do what you guys want me to do. You do what I want or I'm gonna leave. And the network can sort of like negotiate with him on that. But there are not a lot of people in the world that carry that kind of weight behind them. And I, A, love the fact that Lynch uses it to like just make radical television. That's amazing. But I, I don't know, this is something I've been thinking about because like I, you know, like TV right now is producing its own first generation of kind of quality producers, right? Like Lindelof uh, is one. I mean, all of these sort of people that are these kind of major figures here. And those guys are fantastic, a lot of them, but they're not interested in like blowing up quality television. I mean, quality television is their home base. So I, anyway, there's no answer to this, but I'm, I've just been thinking about it a lot in relation to the return. The um, people like Lynch who sort of expand the form, et cetera, aren't the only ones bemoaning sort of death of the, yeah. the filmmaker middle class you know this is something that you've heard people like alexander payne talk about you know people who yeah. 
make movies for, let's say, five or ten million dollars, which is obviously a lot of money. But in terms of like Hollywood, it's like it's a pittance. Um, yeah. And you do have some studios, you know, people talk a lot about A24, but like as much as they may bankroll, you know, every P.T. Anderson movie, for instance, um, most of what they distribute is still like micro budget stuff. Like it comes at yeah. night or Cretia or uh, a ghost story is out this week. And that seems to have a quite minuscule budget as well. And and Moonlight, shout out to Barry Jenkins. Moonlight. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, also very low budget. The there aren't a lot of people taking chances on it, you know that just as there, just as there's a disappearing middle class in America, there's a disappearing middle class of American filmmakers, and you can read about this in any number of places, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is not happening to the same extent in the TV landscape because you've got so many content providers with so many different strategies. Um, I mean, the reason yeah, this exactly. was I, I talked a little bit about Showtime versus Netflix. Um, a couple weeks ago, but I think the reason that Netflix didn't go for this, whether or not they actually pitched it, they certainly, I have no indication that, that they went after it. Um, Netflix is all about, from what I can tell, they don't do a lot of content supervision. They're mostly concerned with, um, you know, it, what demo, what demo, what specific exactly. targeted demo does this show get us? Um, if we can do this and 200 other things that cover all the, all the other demos, then we've covered our, our, our subscriber targets. And that's sort of the reason that uh, th this this subscriber-based model is why content providers can take sort of more chances because if an individual show doesn't do that well, that's fine as long as it gets them that coveted demo or the demo they're not reaching. And some providers are willing to go out on a further limb than others. Um, some networks do better by sort of cultivating talent, by developing relationships. That's sort of what people like uh, FX and to some, to some extent HBO have done. Showtime's been sort of adrift for a long time because they've gotten a lot of what seems to be like really high impact content um, that you'd think would really reach people and is really edgy, but most of it's just not very good and hasn't really developed much of a critical uh, cachet. Yeah. You know, stuff like Billions, you know, it's 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 it, it gets some water cooler talk and like Homeland used to, but I don't really I don't know anyone who loves Billions. I, it, people like season two more, but anyway, I'm getting off track here. So for them. Something like Twin Peaks, like for them to go on a, on a further on a further limb than anybody, and take something that is going to be like a global discussion point, even if no one in America watches it, which is basically the tr I mean the live numbers are pathetic. Um, for them, um, something like this that is sort of form busting, it it's there's no precedent for it in anything that they've done before, and that's what makes it a smart move for them. Um, yeah. in terms of perception and percep and potentially over the long term in terms of business. Um, I think it's probably been the result of some very tough conversations in like Showtime boardrooms. But I do think that if it pays off in terms of the conversation, in terms of um, subscription numbers and in terms of global prestige, then I think we could see more sort of new TV auteurs who are sort of like form busting and uh, maybe we, this is as good a time as segue to segue into talking about Noah Hawley because um, someone was someone else asked um, 
I have to pull up exactly who it was. Uh, it was a. T- Wait, Simon. Simon, before you before you get to know Holly, can I just like add one or two points oh, to what yeah, you were yeah, saying yeah. there? Because I just I just wanted to say something in response to that because you clarified what I was trying to get at. I think for myself, which was basically just this idea that I wanted to like, I, I part of what I want to push back against is this discourse that like splitting things up and carving things up in the television universe according to like algorithms that de- that determine like this show works for women between the ages of like nineteen and twenty four, and this show is for like men in the middle of the country between. 35 and 40 like that that this allows for this sort of like better creation or like more varied creation of content i i'm not sure that's true like this is sort of what i what i was getting at with this question of like what happens when you know filmmakers and artists who like used to be sort of given a lot of cultural cachet and i'm not just saying like go cultural capital because that's not the solution to anything but i do think there is an idea that like people who were alive and making stuff in the 70s have like a kind of cultural leverage now that people who are making stuff right now don't have. Like, you know, Netflix is going to reach out to somebody because they think, oh, you're going to be the perfect person to direct this show that's going to be shown to like a tiny demographic for this one area. And so maybe you'll make something unusual, but it's not going to be, that's never going to mean the same thing as it means when Lynch, who is a huge name that people recognize like across the country, even if you've never seen anything by him, you at least have some recognition of who he is when he like blows up television. Like, I just, I kind of wonder about something like part eight, if it isn't the end of a kind of era when it comes to like collective, unusual image making. And I, and that bothers the hell out of me. Like, I don't like that at all. And I feel like the sort of algorithmic carving up of like experience and and distribution is going to get rid of a lot of that. And it's like, and then we get back to this question that John and Adrian brought up is like, does that mean that, you know, people who are educated in sort of watching moving images and they end up watching one kind of thing and everybody watches something else. And like, that's a bummer. I mean, I, everybody should be able to see difficult, challenging stuff. Everybody should be able to enjoy things like difficult doesn't have to mean not fun it just has to mean unusual um anyway that's just my rant sorry simon go ahead talk about noah holly (laughs) well actually before i get to that i would just say that like you know the twin peaks equivalent sorry the netflix equivalent of twin peaks is like stranger things and that tells you everything you need to know like this hyper targeted nostalgia fest that like is meant for anyway i'm not going to go on another stranger things rant but Twin Peaks is better is all I'm going to say. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, a user on Twitter, let me pull up, uh, their exact handle at TV Teopollins, um, asked, uh, for now, can I request that you and Simon in particular, uh, devote some time to clowning this? And he linked us to a Hollywood reporter piece from March. Uh, and I had read it before, but I should pull up the exact headline quote, how Legion scooped Twin Peaks as 2017's weird show to watch. Uh, and I'll remind you, based on the uh, the logline date, that uh, this was months before Twin Peaks started. Um, so, yeah, obviously that was a dumb piece. Um, <laughs> and uh, they should feel bad. But, I mean, actually, I don't know. I want to clown Noah Hawley a lot because I think his shows are dumb, but... I mean, I, I have some respect for what he does. I respect the fact that, like, everyone expected Fargo to be the worst thing ever, and it turned out to just be bad. Um, <laughs> but, no, that's, that's mean. A lot of people like Fargo very much. But there is there's something interesting there about um, Holly delivering what I think to... What I think of as being, like, a very TV version of what weird is. And admittedly, Legion is weirder than what he did before in terms of like levels of dream logic it was willing to delve into from what I saw. I didn't watch quite the whole thing, but at the end of the day, it's still serving 
comic book characters and it can't really betray that and like ultimately it has uh it has a master that it has to serve um so you know it, it it's it's necessarily con- constrained holly strikes me as the kind of guy who would have been brilliant to have on a writing staff um writing a a particular type of episode or writing for certain characters but not the kind of guy you want running the show um so yeah i mean obviously people had perceptions about um I don't know. Critics love competition between shows. They love uh, list making. They love ranking stuff. Uh, They love to say, oh, this did a thing. So now this other show can't do a thing. Or um, a really dumb example from um, a a couple months ago was when the Dave Chappelle and Louis C.K. specials came out at the same time. And Mm. like the Louis and the Chappelle uh, special had a trans joke in it and people didn't like it. And the Louis C.K. show had a, a, a trans joke in it and people liked it. And so, like, one did a good trans joke and one did a bad trans joke. And what does this... Like, I don't really care what any of these people are... Like, none of this matters. Why am I listening to (laughs) cisgendered men's jokes about trans things? And why am I supposed... Like, no no disrespect to anyone involved, but just, like... I don't know. The think piece churn just makes me want to hang myself, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um... Yes, I agree, and I, I think, uh, and also, I'm surprised, Simon, because usually you're again. I'm, this is the new, the new lodgers where I'm taking over as being the like den mother of the show. But we have we have gone a little bit long, so um, I think we should maybe wrap up by say by asking what uh, if Jonathan and Adrian have any things that they are like hoping for with the show going forward, or like predictions or things that you feel like are going to happen. Like, what's what's your what are you looking forward to here? Um, that is a big question. Um, I would say I, I am hoping for some sort of good Dale renaissance <laughs> via Dougie. Yeah. Um, you know, we have no idea when or how, how that will manifest, but I'm certainly hoping for that. Um, I think the, uh, the woodsman, storyline uh is scary and compelling yeah (laughs) um the bug thing frog bug yeah um i believe you mean frog penis locust (laughs) oh my god (laughs) don't let simon make that a thing it's not a thing (laughs) whatever (laughs) unthink that now exactly yeah Yeah, that's right um the, yeah. the the Laura well this is the the internet is theorizing that that is Laura Palmer the bug and the mother is Sarah mm-hmm. Palmer but this is all still very vague we don't know what that thing is or what's happening hmm. um, yeah My, uh, I, I, oh. can we maybe share um, I don't know Kate if you have any of these but our favorite our, our our individual. If we have any individual favorite crackpot theories that we've seen because my favorite crackpot theory. <laughs> Is that um, so? The the um, the the Naomi Watts character, her name is Janie E. Jones, um, uh-huh. or Jamie E. Jones. And first of all, someone thought that might be a riff on January Jones from Mad Men, which seems very odd, but kind of yeah. funny. Um, but the other the other thing that someone guessed, and I wish I could give you credit because I forget who said this, but someone thought that the E in her name might mean that she's actually Diane's sister. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, well, what's Diane's last name? Do we know? 
we do know it's Diane Evans. There you go. That's why. Mm. Oh, I guess. No, I, <laughs> J- Janie E. Jones is a reference to The Clash, right? That's the, that's what the name is in reference to. Is like uh, Janie E. It's it's a reference to The Clash. I, I don't know why I know that or like what the specifics are, but I feel like I uh, have heard that really? before. Really? Yeah. Um. I don't know. I'd have to look up the details of that. I'm trying to, I'm sorry, I'm slightly distracted because I'm trying to invent my own crackpot theory as we speak, <laughs> which is that I, I read, I was reading recently, we watched Blue Velvet again the other night, and I was reading about uh, Roy Orbison, who led like a, a really crazy life. Crazy life. Yeah, like had some sad things happen to him at the end of his life. But um, did you never see the Roy Orbison pop up video? Oh, no, I where didn't. They, uh, they, it's, it's one of his videos from the mid 80s, and they, they at one point they say, so if you're feeling sad or depressed, we're going to give you a countdown. And when it's over, we're going to tell you all the terrible things that happened to Roy Orbison. So please be ready. <laughs> it is a lot of horrible things. Uh, he, he lost his wife. And then two years later, his two eldest children were killed in a house fire. fire. Yeah. Yeah. It's like really brutal. Anyway, um, I only bring up Roy Orbison because like Lynch had played a big hand actually in sort of resurrecting his career in the eighties by using uh, in dreams in blue velvet and like blah, blah, blah. So Roy Orbison is kind of linked to Lynch in this very interesting way. And uh, Roy Orbison recorded some music with a person named Sonny James, which makes me think very much of Sonny Jim. So maybe there's just some like plot mm. machination with Roy mm. Orbison and Sonny Jim. No, this is, I can't come up with crackpot theories. I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, like terrible. <laughs> I think my favorite theory was that, all of this season is a prequel to Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> Wait, I thought that was Breaking Bad. Uh, both. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you? That's do you have the any... joke. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Um, the, John, did you have any like uh, predictions or things you're hoping to see? Um, I mean, I'm hoping for more follow-up on episode eight. Yeah. Um, I'm just. I'm really looking forward to. To watching that connect with with the rest of the show, if it, of the show. actually if it i've heard the entire rest of the season takes place in 56 so you're in luck yeah <laughs> i think uh, that was i think that was joel bocco on twitter who's like twin peaks super fan he was he was positing that tentatively that maybe we'll just stay in 1956 for the whole thing um right. which would be interesting that would be I so like, baller <laughs> i kind of think that we might just not get anything about any of this i kind of think that part eight might just be like an anomaly and we're going to go back to twin peaks in the current period and we won't get any explanation about any of that yeah yeah just dougie for the rest of the season i will say after after this episode i i my views on dougie are changing i'll i'll try to empathize with it more <laughs> Excellent. The, the cult of dougie uh, no. is expanding yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I feel like it's a perfectly reasonable response to be a little annoyed by Dougie sometimes. I don't. I don't think it's a. It's an audience failing or anything. I think it's. It's a very reasonable reaction uh, to him. The um. The actual last thing I wanted to mention on this podcast is it's been a privilege to discuss the show and the universe with like really plugged in people because every once in a while I'll talk to a normie who's seen Twin Peaks and it'll really freak me out. Like um, someone at work a couple weeks ago, we had a training thing and they mentioned that they were walking, th- they were going through Twin Peaks, including Fire Walk With Me. And I asked them how they felt about Fire Walk With Me. And they were like, oh, it was all right. I mean, it was basically a recap of the series. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. A recap of the series? What? But like, plus 
horrifying violence and actually having like nothing to really like of course it has something to do with the series yeah. but it's like not really like the series yeah apparently none of that, yeah, that registered doesn't make a lot of sense to me. yeah so you know i'm just saying they <laughs> uh, exist the twin peaks normies are out there it's true well I'm, I'm glad the people yeah from everywhere are watching it um i actually did you guys watch firewalk with me in the end no we still haven't watched haven't it. Seen it it's on the to watch list it's... we'll come over to your house and bother you and and ask you lots of questions you should you should do it yeah just uh take my advice don't watch it at 10 a.m prepping for a podcast because it'll make you depressed for the whole rest of the day that's don't watch it at night that's the better night where it can only ruin a few hours of your life exactly exactly. (laughs) it can only depress you for a little while um all right well i mean i think we've we've answered these questions uh we've done what we can hopefully this is sort of a fun <laughs> a fun diversion for people uh you know crying into their dinners over the lack of twin peaks this week yes yeah. uh we'll be back next week with a guest and a regular old episode of the lodgers with us uh, pretending to know what we're talking about as per usual uh thank you all for listening thank you uh jonathan and adrian for joining us and yes. uh, do rate and for anyone who's made it this far look you're obviously uh, like fun. you're obviously like a fan if you're if you've made it this far because this has been truly rambling. So while you're at it, just move your mouse cursor and open iTunes <laughs> and rate and or review the show. It's huge for us. It's a really big deal. It really helps us, I promise. Uh and yeah, every time we get a little review, an angel gets its wings. Um That's true. and by that I mean Kate's ego is boosted. But, yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> help, me, help me get through grad school, you guys. Let's do it. Yeah. You guys can help. And uh, yeah, you can find the show on Sorted Cinema. You can find it on iTunes, on Stitcher, yeah. and now you can also find it on SoundCloud if that's more convenient for you. So yeah. All right. Well, uh, Jonathan and Adrian, thank you guys for prepping your questions and, and giving up your, uh, your weeknight to come and talk some Twin Peaks with us. It's much appreciated. Thank you for answering our questions. Sure. Answering. You guys couldn't see the quotation marks. You guys listening couldn't see the quotation marks around answering. Uh, I'm joking. I made the quotation marks. Adrian is too nice to do that. Um, uh, All right. Well, thank you guys. And uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing what you guys think about it going forward. And thanks to all of the audience people who sent questions. That was lovely of you. And I guess we'll see everybody next week. Hear everybody next week. And good night to the trolls, too. We love you, too. (laughs) In fact, at least one of you.